Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning. We'll be in 2 Timothy now through the fall. So if you turn to 2 Timothy, the first chapter, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. It's good to be back. I did listen. I was joining y'all worship for the last two weeks. So great job by the staff preaching. I enjoyed both the sermons. And uh, if you want to know where I was, I was in Alaska. I've been two weeks in Alaska. I did not want to come back. 65 degrees every single day. Uh, we rode the train from Fairbanks to Anchorage, uh, went to Denali, did the cruise down. And it was my wife and I. She turned 70 a little bit ago. I turned 70 in four weeks. So we called it our 70th birthday celebration. And it was, it was spectacular. I, I've always said uh, I, my church, every five years for anniversary, would send us on a trip somewhere in the world. And the 10th anniversary was to Alaska, and so we always wanted to do it again. But I came back from that trip and said, I've been lied to my whole life. They said everything was bigger in Texas. That's not true. Everything's bigger in life in Alaska. And I did get to see a grizzly. He would have been about back row back there. And we were standing at a rest stop, a bunch of us, and looked up, and there came a grizzly walking across, big old thing. And so I checked to see who I could outrun and where the bus was, but he never saw us. He just kind of lumbered around a little bit. I got great video, zoomed in, looked like I was almost about to pet him, and uh, so it, it was worth it. I had a, a great time, but after two weeks in Alaska, somebody turned the heat off. It is hot here. I was on the football field, came home Monday on the football field Tuesday, 106. I nearly caught a flight back after that, so. And my football players... They come up to me and say, Coach Grandpa, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Why? Are you okay? The heat, you're an old man. <laughs> I don't let them know that in the middle of the night I have leg cramps. I come screaming out of bed, grabbing my leg. My wife used to be sympathetic. She now thinks I'm stupid for doing this, so there's no sympathy. You guys will understand. Sometimes our wives don't respond well to some of our stupid stunts. All right. Serious now, friend of mine, I've been very privileged being a pastor in San Antonio for 30 years. I have 12 men that are pastors now that came out of my church. Uh, they're scattered all over the United States. And I guess if you have a great joy in your heart from what I've done all my life is to see these guys from Arizona, Utah, Rhode Island, uh, I think uh, Missouri, I think Tennessee, then all over Texas. I had a man about 30-ish joined my church years ago named Daryl. And Daryl came from Tennessee, and he was working on his seminary education. He was very faithful in our church. He met Laura Hernandez in my church. Laura's one of the great lady, young ladies in our church. Uh, she's about 30 years of age, never married. Her mom was beginning to wonder if anybody would ever want her, and those kind of things like moms do sometimes. But Daryl and Laura... They hit it off, and she found the love of their life, and they've had the greatest marriage ever. He became pastor. He came to me one day and said, Pastor, we'll be leaving the church next Sunday. I'm going to be the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Freer, Texas, where he's been now for about 10 or 11 years, pastoring that little rural community down in South Texas, a tough place to, to do ministry because of the cartel and everything that goes on on the border, but the people love him. He's done an amazing job down there. While we were on the trip to Alaska, my wife said, have you read Daryl's post? I said, no, I have not. 
She says, you need to find it. So I did. Daryl's best friend in ministry, another pastor in Freer, was missing. Had missing for six days. Daryl was leading the effort to try to find him and to, with the police and everything else. It did not end well. It ended tragically. As we were leaving Alaska, I saw the news that his, his pastor friend there in Freer, his Wednesday prayer buddy, every Wednesday they met for prayer, had died. And it was a very tragic death, and I'll just leave it at that. But this morning when I got up, I was up about 5.30 this morning just reviewing for what I wanted to say today. And I checked Daryl's Facebook page because he's got to get in the pulpit today after this. And guys, what he's going through, I've been through twice. And his words struck me hard. He said this morning on Facebook, my heart's broken. My spirit's crushed. But the presence of God is deeply felt. And I cling to his presence as I know he will sustain me and comfort me. Guys, when you have been through what he's gone through, your heart does get broken and your spirits do get crushed. I've been there twice. So I texted him this morning and said, Daryl, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God gives you amazing grace. And about right now, he should be standing in the pulpit at his little church, at the First Baptist Church of Freer. I said, but I want you to stand up. I want you to preach with a passion like you've never done before that our God is faithful and that our God is good and that our God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and called according to his purposes. And Daryl, you're the voice in that town now. The whole town's looking to you for what you're about to do. Well, to do what he's going to have to do, and I've done on two occasions, it's not an easy thing to have to, to get up to do. But you know what drives you to do that? It's what our message is about. Just the first verse. It has to do with the will of God in our lives. Stand with me as I read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Paul's letter to Timothy, probably his last writings before he meets his demise and will be, will be uh, killed because of his faith in Christ somewhere after this letter is written and a few more months pass by. But it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. I long to see you. I recall your tears. I long to see you because I want to be filled with joy. Fathers, we look at this today. Speak to us in a clear way. Help us understand our calling that you've given each and every one of us in Christ. And how that calling should impact our lives. So even as Daryl walks this morning, Lord, and I pray for him right now that you give him strength and courage as he preaches the truth of your word to the people of Freer this morning. Lord, I pray you'll bless what he does. But Father, may we all learn through uh, the sermon today what it is to stay faithful because you're always faithful. To trust you as we walk through the difficulties of life. And that we continue to do what you put us on this earth for. And it is do the good works which you have destined that we walk in them. Now, Father, watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Normally, the first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of life in Christ Jesus, is a verse you read in your devotional, and just move on. Just a quick opening. 
read it and go. But let's stop today and think through a little bit. So Paul was called, God called Paul to a specific task in life. Now Paul's calling, really, his calling is not to a specific task. His calling is to Jesus. And that's a critical distinction there. What we do as our vocation afterwards can change, but our calling is to walk in Christ. But specifically, he's telling Paul, my specific vocation, which God called me to, was to be an apostle. Now, if you want the least likely person to ever step into the role of being an apostle, this is the man. In fact, he said he was the least of all the apostles. And all the apostle means is, is messenger. Y'all were messengers last week or two weeks ago whenever you were in Honduras. You just That's all he was. He was a messenger. God was going to use him. Now, he says of himself, God used a nobody. Now, he was not a nobody. When I read his background and his upbringing and his education, he was anything but a nobody. But when he knew when it came down to it, we're all the same. We're all guilty of sin. We're all on the same level of ground. And we all need the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And when we get that, it doesn't make us better than anybody else in the room. We're just people saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wouldn't have, because he's an apostle, some great position, but that's what God called him to do. Yeah, he was raised in Judaism. He was a rising star. He was a chief persecutor of the church. He did it with a great zeal. He wasn't even a great orator if you go back and study the scriptures. But he knew Jesus, and he did it with a passion. Now, I want to think about something here, because he has to face a dramatic turn in his life. You know his story well, the road to Damascus. There was nothing easy about this turn. For a lot of us, my, my grandson came to Christ four weeks ago. In a couple weeks, I'll get to baptize him uh, in Fort Worth. I'm looking forward to doing that. I would have baptized all eight of them. I even told him last night to be practicing holding your breath because I'm going to need to hold you down for about 10 minutes to clean you up. And I, I get that privilege, so I'm going to do that. Uh, but for our Tim to come to Christ, all the family rejoiced in that. All of his friends, his Sunday school teachers at Cross Church rejoiced in seeing this junior high young boy come to Christ. Ran into a couple of his teachers the other day and they said, we've been praying and praying for him. He finally made his decision. But for Paul to make this decision is sometimes like in Honduras or Costa Rica to come to Christ is not easy. The family will have nothing to do with you. Well, Paul is a superstar in the Judaism, and now he's going to come to Christ, the very religion he's trying to change. The Jewish leaders hated him. He was a traitor. Christian leaders feared him. They feared him. He might turn them in. He put many of them in jail. He may be setting a trap. It took years, 14 years, to get him ready to be the minister that he was going to be. See, a lot of times we just think this walk with Christ, as soon as we do, it's superstar, we got it, we go and go full blast. No. Life is slow. There's drudgery to it. You walk through it. He doesn't have a calling at first, but he knows what he's going to be doing somewhere along the line because of Ananias telling him what's going to happen. But he has to walk through in preparation for all he's going to do. And his start was not superstar starting. It was quiet. He was in Antioch. He was with some other men. He was helping maybe teach occasionally in Antioch. And then one day they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and said, you're going to go. Just send them out like y'all got sent out. You're just going to go and do the job. They took John Mark with them. In Perga, 
John Mark left him because he found out something. Life's not easy. Life's difficult. It's not the dreams. You know, when I'm in college and I'm feeling like God's calling me into ministry, one of the reasons I like the thought of going to ministry, I love going to camp. I love going to these special college uh, meetings up in Dallas from southeast Texas. I mean, that was fun. Going to Gloriette, New Mexico for student week. Boy, ministry is fun. But then I got into ministry and found out it's not always fun. John Mark got in and found out it wasn't fun. He quit. As soon as they got off Crete and he got back to the mainland of Turkey, he hightailed it back to Jerusalem to go home. So Paul and Barnabas, they kept going. What happened to them? Faced unbelievable opposition, Iconium. Paul was stoned in Lystra. See, here's the point I want to make. The glamour of our calling in Christ can quickly fade into reality of living in a tough and evil world. I wish every day of our lives could be like a good day of worship as a family together. But some days it's just tough. You know, Friday night, we were on the football field for our first scrimmage. My kids have been excited all year about getting ready for the first game. And then the realities hit in, missed tackles, missed cues, mistakes, looking bad. Some of them were really frustrated. All the excitement of last week has vanished very quickly once on the field. A lot of times in life, we think, well, we're with God, we're going to walk, and life's going to be good. It's not. Sometimes it's tough, and the glamour leaves very quickly, and there is a reality But Paul had a calling. And here's the key point. Paul's calling was what? Chosen instrument of God. This is what Ananias will tell him. To bear my name before the Gentiles. To let them know who I am. To bear my name before kings. And to bear my name before the sons of Israel. And I will show him this. Paul, you're going to suffer a lot to be able to do this. That's his calling. And what does he have to do? Stay faithful all the way through that calling. No one, Jesus, one time when he's doing the uh, four soils, one of them, he says this, this person has no firm roots in themselves. It's only temporary. So when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, they immediately fall away. The apostle Paul doesn't. There was not an obstacle one that could get in his way that would stop him. See, people like Paul amaze me. They're the ones I want to learn from. And you should be the same way. These are people who face unbelievable obstacles in life, and they don't quit. They keep going. They stay faithful all the way through. I was raised by Wilma Branson, my mom, who had a tough life. She would never let us quit. Boy, over and over, she'd get on my case when I'd try to quit anything I was doing, whether it be football or something else. I, I was not the best student, even though I was an honor graduate in high school and won the national math test. I nearly flunked out of the University of Texas because you got to go to class to pass them. I'm serious. I didn't go. I was in a fraternity. I was having a good time. I didn't go. I, call, I finally wrote a letter to my mom and my dad. Oh, no, I've called them and said, and this is a, you know, parents got to love these moments with their kids. I called my mom and dad. They just moved to Canada and said, Dad, Mom, I'm quitting college. I'm quitting. Can't do it. What do you say when your son calls you and he's in Texas and you're in Canada and he says he's quitting? They hung up after the call. They both wrote letters. I still have both those letters. Neither one knew the other had written me a letter. 
They both said almost the exact same thing without knowing what the other, but what I heard them say was, son, God's beginning to work in your life, and to quit on that is the worst thing you can do. Son, we've been there. We know what it is. We know how frustrating sometimes it gets and how tough living in this world can be. But young man, we know you, and we know what God's doing in your life. You stay faithful. I wasn't being called to ministry. They were just calling me to walk with Christ because ministry wasn't even thought of at that particular moment for me. Paul had that kind of calling. I made a decision to stay in. Smartest decision ever made. And it wasn't easy. I had to fight to get back into getting through everything like I was supposed to. Yeah, the glamour of all this life suddenly fades when you face how tough life is. But here's some things that will help us. If I understand that what God has called me in Christ... And I think that most everybody in this room should have that calling in Christ. You open your eyes to see who Jesus is. You belong to him. He has adopted you in his family. He allows you the privilege to be able to pray to him, and he will hear you when you say, Abba, Father. He's given you this unbelief. That should be a driving factor in your life. So no matter what you're facing in life, you keep putting one foot in front of the other to be what God's called you to be. You know, for Paul, that's what kept moving him forward. What does he say when he gets to the end of, the, of 2 Timothy? He says one of the most famous things. We all know it. He says in 4-7 what? I fought a good fight. Which tells me something. It wasn't easy. But he overcame the obstacles to do what God wanted to do within his life. In fact, what I find amazing as you get to the end of 2 Timothy is that when he writes to Timothy, he tells him this. Timothy, young man, when you come to see me and... He's going to leave Ephesus in Asia and go to Rome to be with him. He's going to have to walk that distance, take ships and everything else. When you come, bring the cloak. I left it at Troas if you'd pick it up and bring it. But young man, bring the books. Bring the parchments. Hear this old man, and he is an old man by now when he writes this, still has a calling, wants to know his passion in life, according to Philippians 3 is what? To know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And he said, bring me my books. Bring me the parchments. Bring me the Old Testament scrolls. I still have so much I want to do and know and learn. See, Paul never lost his calling. His transition in vocation shifted. Now he's in prison. He's no longer teaching in a church. He's in prison. His vocation changed, but his calling is real. The glamour has faded, but the reality of his call in Christ is so real that nothing stops him. When you have this kind of calling, so it keeps you moving forward. Second thing it does is it helps you finish well. Most critical thing you want to do in life is finish well. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. You know, I turned 70 in four weeks. I am at the point in my life that I don't want to just sit down and do nothing and sit in my chair. I want to finish well. I want to be whatever God wants me to do. I'm not going to ever be a, a pastor again. There comes a time you shift and others step up and take over. I'm not ever going to be in that. But I have a calling in Christ. And I want that calling to be like my dad was. Or my mom. Or Jan's dad. Or Jan's mom. Who stayed faithful to Christ and lived well all the way to their last breath here on this earth. That's what we've all been called to do. And when I have a calling in Christ, I have the promise of life eternal, then that's what helps me through whatever I'm facing in life to put another foot in front of me, keep living, keep doing whatever God's laid on my heart to do, and I move forward. I think one of the greatest stories in all of history is William Wilberforce. 
You know the name. You're bound to know that name. He is the man who stopped slavery in England. Wilberforce was about five foot four. He partnered with a man named John Newton. You know that name. He was a pastor who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton, a slave trader, an evil man, came to Christ. And this godly little man with this big giant of a man partnered together and they fought. His whole calling in life was his walk with Christ and with the concern that he could end slavery. He didn't do very well. It was tough. It's hard to shift the world when they've been going a direction for as long as the world was going. But on the night before he died, he got word that the act of emancipation in the House of Commons would pass. That was his calling in life. His vocation was the House of Commons, but he no longer could serve because his health was gone. But he still had the calling in Christ to do what he was called to do. And he accomplished his purpose, his last breath on this earth. You know, very few people have the privilege of ending their labors and their life at the same time, but he did. See, we must make sure that our calling is deeper, wider, higher, and longer than the best and highest task we ever undertook. For me, the highest task maybe I've ever undertook was being pastor at Village Parkway for 30 years. But my calling must go way past that. I no longer stand in the pulpit at Village Parkway in San Antonio anymore. I'm helping with you guys up here. But my calling is in Christ to be everything he's called me to be, and so is yours. And so no matter where you are in life, where you work, all of us have different vocations. A, a calling doesn't mean I have to be a preacher. A calling means you might be the best engineer out at L3 Harris or the best teacher out at Greenville. Whatever your vocation is, you do the very best. Why? Because whatever you do by word or deed, all that you do, you bring honor and glory to God. But my calling is, is to be walking with Christ every day to be what he wants me to be and accomplish what he wants to do through me, to be a witness no matter where I'm at. That leads me to the third thing. Calling encourages us to leave the entire outcome of our lives in the hand of God. Notice verse 1. I'm an apostle by the will of God. God's will is what's going to be done in our own lives. His will is what's going to be done, and we just need to trust that sometimes. My friend Daryl in Freer, Texas, has no desire to pastor anywhere else. You don't even know where Freer is, I bet 95% of you. It's like, it's like, I don't know some of your little towns around Greenville. You could say it, and I wouldn't even know. In fact, the other day, we found out our opening game will be against Miami, Texas. I've never even heard of Miami, Texas. I didn't know there was such a thing as Miami, Texas. It's north of Pampa. It's a long drive that we'll be doing, but you don't know where Freer is. He is... Daryl's from Tennessee, the mountains. There are no mountains in South Texas. Scrub brush. Hot. But his passion is that God placed him there. He has a desire deep to do that. He's not looking to go anywhere else. As I told him this morning, you have a calling today. To hold faithful in the midst of all the tragedy y'all been through this week. You know, the glamour fades. But our calling keeps us moving forward. It helps us to finish well. And it causes us to trust him. Paul said this, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Kept the faith. 
It comes down to this, guys. We trust Jesus every single day of our life. Colossians says, as you receive Christ, how did you receive him? By faith and trust in Jesus. As you have received Christ, so walk in him day by day. Every day we get up and we trust that Jesus is at work within our lives. During the greatest days you could ever ask for, Jan and I had those the last two weeks in Alaska, great times together, celebrating life together, celebrating all we've got to do, getting to see the most spectacular of sights, but also during the most difficult of days through the loss of her dad recently and all that we've been through at times within our lives together, through good or bad, what? We trust God to get us through. Were we always great at it? No. Preachers aren't any better at this than anybody else. But you just get up every day and you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. Jesus said, not my will, but your will, Father, on the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what you and I do. We trust God to finish. See, true believers, I know we get frustrated. I get frustrated sometimes. But we really shouldn't if we're truly resting in Christ. And here's why. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for a purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So that shows God's wills being accomplished, even when evil runs rapping around us. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans this way, but God directs their steps. Sometimes my best laid plans I could have ever asked for don't happen the way I want them to. But I know something, God planned whatever he's doing, and I just walk through whatever he's planned. Proverbs 139, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when I had not even experienced one of them yet. So I know this, as I turned 70, I've said this before, my mom died at 70. Totally healthy, doing well, living life fully, and suddenly within two weeks was gone. My brothers have said, I take after mom. So I, they're expected me to be gone here soon, and so I won't be around. Well, you know, I don't know. None of us know that. I just know this. God's ordained my days. I told my brothers the other day, I, he, I think he's ordained them after my dad. He made it to 90. So I'm, I'm going with that. But I don't know. You don't either. When I watched what happened in Hawaii this week, that was shocking and stunning. I've been involved in Costa Rica in a grass fire that swamped our vehicle, but we got out of it. it scared the daylights. I can't fathom what these people went through having seen what I did in Costa Rica one time. But this much I know, no matter what unfolds in my life, God set my days, and when he's ready for me to come home, I'm coming home. And until then, what does he want from me and you? To live our lives, to live them fully, to care and to love our family and our friends, to be faithful within our churches and to serve each other and to love each other and to, when we can minister to people, do that. When we share the gospel, do that. We want to do every single day for one reason. The calling we have is to honor and glorify Him. Greatest privilege in our lives is to bring honor and glory to the Father in heaven. For we are His workmanship. We did this last, month, last several months. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Walk in them. It's our calling. That's what he's done. So it leads me to this. What was the secret that Paul could do this? Is there a secret to this? Not really. It's really right there out in the open. What does he say in verse 1? According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And so, well, it's just a phrase. No, it's more than just a phrase. Notice his calling is based on a promise. The promise is what? Life. Jesus has given him life. You can't have a purpose in life till you repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is held captive by Satan to do his will. 
There's no freedom. The only purpose is death and destruction. And all of this is quietly veiled by our selfish ambition and greed. But God reached down and touched our lives and changed each and every one of us and has given us life in Christ. And so what I do is I trust in Jesus every day. I trust the promise. I trust the promise. The promise of belonging to him. The promise that one day I'll enter into his presence. The promise that we'll get to stand in front of him and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So what do we do? We got to stay faithful because of the promise. And when we walk by faith and trust in Christ, faith in Christ will help us face the drudgery and the difficulties of life. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, said, drudgery is a touchstone of character. During the difficult times and the more boring times that you define who you are in Christ Jesus. Thought came to me while I was on the ship this last week. Walking on water is easier to the impulsive person than walking on dry land as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's easy to want to do something spectacular. I'm calling you to live daily. Maybe the spectacular happens ever so often in your life but you live daily for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm challenging you this morning to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life, to be holy in your life in Greenville. And this is not something you learn in five minutes. It's something you learn through life. And I close with this. You probably have never read this writer. Uh, He's very famous. His name is Justin Martyr. Being a preacher and seminary professor, we read stuff like this. And so you're reading through all this. He wrote in the first century. Uh, and he lived in Galilee, not far from where Jesus was raised. And one day when I was reading, I've noted this and held on to it all of these years. He said there were still plows being used in his area. And this would be 70, 80 years later. Plows still being used that were made by Joseph and Jesus. Uh, you kind of read that and go, oh, that's, that's interesting. But then I got to thinking about that. What was Jesus calling to be the Messiah, the Christ, to go to the cross that you and I can have eternal life? But as a young man, until he began his vocation of what he was going to do, he lived his life in such a way that he brought honor and glory to the Father. And so when he and his dad would build a plow, they'd build it well, work hard, and it was still around years later. Here's my challenge again to you. Live well. You have a calling by the will of God according to the promise of who Jesus Christ is. This is not a Sunday morning thing we do at church and talk this religious talk. No, this is something real. We've experienced it within our heart. We know it to be true. And so we live it out fully. Are we perfect at it? No, but we strive every day to be honoring him in all that we do and say. And your calling will become evidence when Christ is the focal point of your life. Some of you are going to go, well, I still don't know what God's really called me to do. Well, I'm going to make an observation. I don't know how right this observation is, but I think I'm close with this. When did Paul write this letter? At the end of his life. Maybe it took a while to see that what Ananias told him comes to fulfillment that now that he knows when he looks back that this has been the will of God in his life. 
in such a way that it gives him strength and passion to finish well. Close with a thought. I had a, I was Friday night at the game. We're going to not be state champs this year, I can already tell you. We got a tough year ahead of us. Our coach scheduled Mays. My grandson said, we're going to drive three hours to get beat by 45 at halftime and come home. I said, you're the star of the team, and you're already thinking this way. Well, after watching them on Friday, we're going to have a tough season. It's not going to be easy, but I had so much fun with the boys out on the field. I really did. I get to really impact and influence, call plays, do everything out there. And I've never done this. You know that. I've said that. But I was sitting there, and I had my arms folded. Uh, if I've got my arms folded, it means second count on the call by the quarterback. If I'm doing this, it means first. So you might see me at the sidelines doing this. I'm signaling the play in. But I'm just doing this. And I turned to Coach Bright. I said, Coach, he's our head coach. Thank you. He said, for what? Thank you for the privilege that you asked this old preacher to come help coach last year. I said, I am having a blast. I'm having more fun than I could have ever imagined working with the boys. He said, he said why? I said, because that's what God has always called me to do, to work with young men. I've been doing that for years, and now I get to do it on the football field, and I lead them in Bible study every single day before practice. And I get to in the huddle pray with them. We do things differently than everybody else. But I'm still doing. I'm not a preacher anymore. I'm a coach. But I still get to do ministry. That's what I'm calling you today. Wherever God's placed you, do ministry. Do it well. If it's in the church, do it well. If it's somewhere else, do it well. I learned this a long time ago. When I give assignments out to seminary students, write a five-page paper on something, ten-page paper, Right on this. They always go, do you really need five pages? Will three work? Until I heard a philosopher professor one time say to his students, look, don't worry about the length. Forget about your future careers for a moment. Remember the grade's only secondary. Just hand in something that you can respect. I've always liked that. So here's the thing. You may not know what your calling is. But can you live your life in such a way that you bring honor and glory to God tonight? That you can stand in front of him knowing you did your best? That's what Paul says. I was an apostle. It was God's will for me to be there. But I did it because of my faith and trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And Lord, as we begin to unfold all that Paul had to give insight to Timothy, I pray, Father, that you'll help us to learn some amazing ministry truths over the next weeks, because that's what this letter is about. We've learned about church at Ephesus and uh, what's the theology that they needed to follow and the ethics in which they needed to be in their lives, and now we'll learn, as Paul tells our pastor, here's what ministry is all about, so teach us. But Father, help us to know that every one of us in this room today have a calling in Christ. A calling just walk with you. Our vocations may be different, but our calling is all the same among each one of us. Help us to walk in a manner that's pleasing. Help us to endure. Help us to be faithful. And may you be glorified in all we do and say. As my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.